Aloha guys, welcome back to the Vicious Cycle Podcast, Whiskey, Women, and Water. Uh, super fun podcast for me today. I know I say that a lot, but to be honest, I'm just really enthusiastic about what I'm doing. Uh, I love documenting the different fisheries and the fact that uh, we are going out of my home port on this episode, uh, out of Hampton, New Hampshire, and experiencing a fishery that I myself never saw because it didn't exist uh, when I was younger. Uh, made that even more enjoyable. Um, I think you guys will find listening to this podcast that just a great, great group of characters. It's threesome that fishes together, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Like always, if you enjoy the podcast, please uh, like, subscribe, review. Also, uh, we're coming into our final week of the uh, Vicious Cycle Whiskey, Women, and Water sweepstakes uh, for your chance to win a trip to. Uh, the Kona Coast and fish with Captain Kevin aboard the Northern Lights uh, famous fisherman famous boat uh, and myself as your crew uh, that may be the only downside to the to the package uh, five nights stay at the Sheridan Hotel three days of charter aboard the legendary Northern Lights with Captain Kevin Nakamura I think uh, anyone that's been in the fishing game knows how incredible of a trip that is, what a legend Kevin is. And, uh, you know, for those of you that haven't been listening, people have said, well, why Kevin? And, I, and I'm and i just going to be honest. Uh, you know, Kevin, I picked Kevin because I thought to myself, what experience would I want other people to have? And uh, for me, if I was going to charter a boat, uh, I, would, I would charter Kevin. And the reason that is is that not only is Kevin a great marlin fisherman, a great ahi fisherman, great my my fisherman he's an everything fisherman and i am at the point in my career where i am more concerned about really meeting the people's needs and uh not just my own ego per se sometimes some of these boats and i think we've all experienced this they'll take you out on a trip and really they're just trying to catch a fish that will satisfy them and not the client and i gotta say having fished with kevin i can tell you firsthand that that's a gentleman that is going to go out of his way uh, to try and make whatever your fishing dream is a reality. So that's the reason why I linked up with Kevin. That's the reason I recommend Kevin. And um, that's the reason whoever wins the contest uh, will be fishing with us aboard Kevin's boat. So uh, without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, great podcast today. And uh, thank you again. Uh, if you haven't done so, please, if you've read my book, uh, please leave a review on Amazon. I know it might seem like a little bit of a hassle, but a written review for a new first-time author goes a long way. Uh, if you could spare that time, I'd greatly appreciate it. So let's get into it. Tight lines. Oops. You do have a story. We got into this, so, you know, as a basically a high school kid as an escape, and you know, I, you've told that story, and and, and it's just kind of grown to where all you want to do is be on the water and be fishing it doesn't matter you don't even care what kind of fishing you just (laughs) want to be out there whether it's hauling traps by hand or or out there wetting a line and catching stripers you know so you do have a story it's like you you've grown up around here and wanting to be part of the ocean the ocean is my home for sure and it definitely became an escape and then it it's kind of pulled back from being an escape now and more just like my home again not 
getting to be out there all the time. But I, yeah, I don't care what kind of fishing it is. I just want to be out there yeah. in the water. Yeah, that's where you want to move forward with it and kind of grow, grow it. And that's kind of what we're looking at heading to eventually. But yeah. you definitely have a story how you got into it. Well, how about telling us that story? <laughs> okay, well, I got into fishing. I was just a kid in high school, and my marine biology teacher, uh, she knew I was getting bullied really bad, and I didn't want to be in the food industry where I'd potentially have to be serving my... Is this Mrs. Silver by any chance? Yes. Okay, awesome. Great. Yeah. Great. So she used to let me hide out in her classroom, uh, so I didn't have to go to any of the assemblies with like my class, because it was my class that was attacking me so she called up one of her buddies and she was hiring and I showed up and my interview was in a parking lot in the middle of winter and she she was just like yeah just come meet me in my car and so I called my my dad I was like dad I'm not getting in the stranger's car by myself in an empty parking lot you're coming with me so he stayed in the car and I got in her car and she just looked me up and down and was like can you lift 100 pounds and at this point in my life, I weighed like 110 pounds. So, Soaking wet, maybe. Yeah. So <laughs> I was so scared. I was just like shaking my head. I was like, yeah, yeah. She was like. Could you lift 100 pounds? I made myself lift 100 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a whole other story there, too. But so basically, so my boss, because of Miss Silver, ended up hiring me just because of the Okay, connection. so who was your boss? How, so, how did this all start? So... I don't know, should I say her name? Just use her first name. So my boss was Sue in Rye Harbor, and she was she is like the definition of like just a salty, like real salty fisherwoman. So she lobstered commercially, one of like one of the first females in the harbor, and so she just is nothing gets under her skin. Like I think I don't know, she's just the real deal. So she when I showed up for my first year of work I had no idea I didn't know but apparently she my two captains told me at the end of the year she asked after every single trip when we went out do you think she can handle it I don't think she can handle it and I had no idea and she's a she I love her but she is a micromanager where she needs to be in control of how everything's going and it's fine because that's how she runs her business and it's you know but so I had no idea that she just kind of didn't believe in me and that changed at the very end. So I didn't do the lobster tours at the beginning because she didn't think I could handle it. Like going out. So I just did the shoals tours. Okay. So she didn't want me lifting the traps and doing the bait. She didn't think I could handle it. But then the kid that, it was just me and this other kid working, he went back to college. I was still in high school, so I wasn't going back to school. So she was stuck with me. So I had to start doing the lobster tours, and she went out with me on the like the last lobster tour. So I went out with the other captains and everything. I had no idea. She was like, she can't handle it. I don't think she can handle it. I don't think she should come back next year, even though I wasn't doing anything wrong. And so she came out on the very last lobster trip, and after we did the whole thing, like she just made my other captain sit in her shack and me in the shack, and she went out with me. And she just looked at me, and she's like, yeah, you're good. And I didn't know what that meant because I didn't know the pretense of that I couldn't handle it. Ah. So uh, she was like, yeah, you know, you're, you're good. And she just walked off. <laughs> and so the last 
two weeks, um, because the other kid used to get bait, he would, um, he would go to, like, actually to Tilton's, Peter Tilton's over here, and he would get the frozen rack of herring or something, but he wasn't doing that anymore, and we ran out of lobster bait, so we went over to all the draggers that were all in the harbor, and she was like, we just need to go get a mixed bag from that guy, and those mesh bags that just leak bait juice and everything, and they were like 100 pounds, she was like, we'll just go over and grab one, and it was at the end of the day, so all the fishermen are in, they're all drinking on the pier, they're all talking, and we go over, and she's trying to like, like, it's like, you know, a trash bag tie, she's like trying to help me carry this out of there, and it's making it worse, because she's like pulling it, so I was just like, just put it down, stop, stop, because all the fishermen were like laughing at me, so I just picked it up and put it onto my shoulder, got it all in my hair, ran all down my body, and I just walked to her shack and started baiting bags. Awesome. And all the fishermen just stopped laughing, and they were just like, what the, what? Because <laughs> they also called me Barbie, like all, all, like a bunch of them called me Barbie forever for my first year. And they saw that, and then so I'm baiting bags after to put in her freezer, because that's how she had it for the tour, so it didn't, like, smell bad for tourists and stuff. So I'm over there, and I'm just having my head down, and I'm baiting, and I'm doing that. And my boss just walks over, and she's just like, you know, you're, per you're pretty all right. And she just goes and sits in her shack. She, just, she stuck her head out. She's like, but you reek. You smell really bad. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Like, I'm just like, it's drying on me at this point. So then one of my favorite fishermen walked by me like we became close after this and he saw that I could handle it there and he was just like put his thumbs up and was like hell yeah and like just walked right by me and then after that she trusted me and I had most of the lobster tours after that they were split pretty even and I just yeah I did that for I don't know how many years well, another couple three years after that I think it was like four for five years. Know. Was it that long? Yeah. I don't know. I Four or five years. Time. And then through that, because I, I fell in love with lobstering from that, even though it was just the tourists. Well, maybe you could explain before we go any further for people that are listening that don't know. What exactly does a lobster tour consist of? Okay, so a lobster tour was about an hour and a half tour. And we would leave the harbor and show people like how lobstering was done. So we would haul, she just had five traps. And we would go out and we would haul the five traps and explain the trap and explain kind of like the history of it, um, the different state, like, you know, Maine, New Hampshire, kind of how they're a little bit different with their regulations, talk about the anatomy of the lobster, like how they mate, molt, like just kind of everything that people want to know. They can ask questions. If we didn't know, we'd look it up. <laughs> so, so basically it was like hauling traps the way you would normally haul. Yeah. The commercial boat would haul traps and then, uh, but you had tourists on board that were observing uh, the whole thing. So it was, you know, people come from other parts of the country that have, well, never been on the ocean in the first place, but have eaten lobster. And there's like, oh, we can go out on this tour and see how they do it, you know? Which so is that was, funny uh, because yeah. I never, like, you know, you hear things and you're like, what? Because somebody, would, a bunch of people actually, multiple, multiple times when we went out, would be like, how come they're not red? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And, and they've only ever eaten 
cooked lobster, so they've oh. never cooked it themselves, but I don't think that, it. so I literally look at these people, I'm like, what are you, stupid? Like, <laughs> but I, then I'm like, oh yeah, right, not everybody's from here. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Let me ask you, were the, tra- were the trips, like, with traps peppered? What if you go haul five traps that don't have anything in them, or did you guys make sure there was something in no, them? No, so we would have some tours that we didn't have anything in them, which, um... I wish she kind of would have more traps, but I think she just didn't want to deal with that because her main thing was kind of the shoals tours. But she had a lobster tour, I think, every other day during the week. So she had a bunch, but we rarely had nothing in them because even if we didn't have keepers, we'd have shorts. Yep. So people would still just love seeing that. And we always would get, like, you know, sculpin, which nobody's seen, and, like, random little things that were cool to somebody else that I see them all the time, and I'm just like, meh. <laughs> Well, now you're meh. Back then you were... Oh, yeah. A sculpin came up and it's like... Let me oh. hold it for two hours. <laughs> I think you're still like that sometimes. She With, is. Yeah. Well, like horseshoe crab comes up riding the traps, uh, the crab traps or something, and it's like, <laughs> just wants to sit there and look at it for... I mean, yeah. just loves all that. Just, yeah. She was always like that. I mean, from the time she was a little kid, we'd go to the beach. All she wanted to do was go in the tide pools, and so we'd be out on the rocks in the tide pools. She could care less about the beach. She just wanted to turn over rocks and find the, the animals in the tide pools and stuff. That was... And I had you showing me where all the cooler things were, like rock gunnels <laughs> and other things that other kids would come over and be like, oh my god, what's that? Yeah. Get back two hours late and say, hey, I thought we were having dinner. I'd be like, well, we, we got a horseshoe crab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually happened. <laughs> My dad's like, okay, dinner's at six and we'll be out for an extra two hours because there was a horseshoe, and a horseshoe crab in the trap and I had to play with it. <laughs> so we're jumping ahead kind of a little bit here. So we went, yeah. fr- we went, from, uh, we went from doing lobster tours. And so maybe we should introduce the whole team. Right, so we kind of—I kind of sneakily started the recording because I wanted everyone to be natural. But now that we're kind of flowing pretty good here, maybe we should introduce the whole team and kind of explain to people what you guys have going on now, and can kind of talk about your fishery. So, if you guys want to introduce yourself, and so, if, please. Yeah. Well, I'm Eric, um, uh, and I am uh, actually a marine biologist, uh, and been working for. A long time, 38 years in, in that field, working in the commercial diving. And uh, so most of mine, I haven't really worked so much in commercial fisheries until Nicole and Charlie were getting into the commercial fishing is when I got in, involved in that. Now, of course, a lot of what I do for my job is kind of just like commercial fishing because we do gill netting, we do trawling, um, you know, just lots of different kinds of, of gear that we we fish so it's in a way similar but uh yeah i didn't grow up in the commercial fishing business so much so and nicole is your daughter for those that are listening <laughs> yes i am <laughs> yeah and uh yeah she's but in many ways she's kind of dragged me into discovering more about being on the ocean and and fishing more sport fishing i used to do that a lot more and then the job kind of took over and spent all my time working and uh wasn't doing much of that anymore and then when 
Nicole came along and was so interested in all that, then uh, it drew me back into it because I guess because of her excitement about it made me want to ex re-experience the excitement, <laughs> but also be with her experiencing her excitement about it, about all of it. Um, so that's that's my part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Charlie. Uh, I've been, you know, grew up fishing and fished for fun as a kid. And I started more commercially rod and reel fishing uh, in college down in Rhode Island and kind of continued it back here in New Hampshire now and still doing it now and got into the crabbing more. Well, for the people listening and maybe they follow the salty blonde uh you're the man behind a lot of the photos that we don't see right so so you're, you're the mystery man behind behind the photos how did you guys meet how did this happen so we went to high school together um but we had mutual friends um from fishing and stuff so we just started hanging out at the boat club and we were just friends at first because you had a girlfriend i think i just got out of a relationship so we were just best friends for, I don't know, a couple years first, a while first, and then... Sounds suspicious, I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> go ahead and tell that story. <laughs> and then... Um... I was suspicious, too. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds suspicious, Dad, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we started dating, because, I don't know, we just loved being out until from sunrise to... The next sunrise, striper fishing <laughs> all night. So we were the only ones that would, in our group, kind of do that, go stay out and literally just fish all night. You'd be like, are you coming home? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'd be sending you pictures of fish. Oh, we're still fishing. <laughs> that also sounds suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pictures were probably taken the day before that you were sending oh <laughs> When I was younger, I would just fish by myself until 2 or 3 in the morning because no one else would want to. So. Yeah. I'd be out just fishing all night. You have insomnia, too, so you're just, you're up anyways. Oh, it's perfect for fishing, then. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's actually a blessing. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Yeah, you never nap on the boat unless you're, like, falling asleep standing up. <laughs> it's happened. Yeah, it's happened a few times. So you guys started off initially, you're basically recreational fishing together for fun is that right yeah and then somewhere along the line you said we want to make a living out of this how did that happen so you want to so you grab first you want to talk about i started grabbing for um one of my one of my friends that would sell crabs and he just couldn't get them so he kind of reached out to me because he knew that i could get them for him if he needed them and i'm kind of like he was buying it from other buyers other sellers and buyers and stuff but he would, uh, I would kind of like supplement that. Yeah, you bring then, him like one or two. Like, yeah, I just bring him a little bit like... here and there if he was in like a pinch. And then... Let's backpedal a little bit for the people that don't know. Okay. okay. <laughs> now, when you say you're going crabbing, there's lots of different crabs. And actually, that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you guys on the podcast. Because I'm fascinated about your fishery. Because when I was a kid, it didn't exist. Right. And so, um, in, you know... Uh, you know, we're in my hometown right now, and it's pretty cool to think that 20 years after I left, there's a new fishery, whereas in most places, you know, there's just a bunch of fisheries that have gone sour or yeah, gone south. Right. So the fact that you guys 
have come up with a new fishery. Can you kind of tell us like what you fish for and how that came to be and, you know, about, about the species? Cause I, I find all of that fascinating. Talk about the species a so, bit. okay. So green crabs came over, um, in the ballast of ballast water of ships from Europe mostly, right? Yeah. They're European. European. Yeah. European green crab. Duh. <laughs> and, um, they're super invasive. So they've been just killing the soft shell and mussel and oyster populations here. They will just kind of wait above the hole where the siphons come out and they just snip it off, eat it, either crawl into the shell or just keep moving on. So one single green crab can eat 40 soft shell clams a day and just, just wiping them out. But on top of just wiping out that, the ridges on their shells when they're walking across the ocean floor also takes out eelgrass beds, which are like nurseries. If you think about it like a desert, they're like a oasis in a desert for like the ocean floor. So I know, I'm not sure if it was UNH, but I know that a lot of people have been working on replanting eelgrass now because it's been so wiped out. Just uh, from the green crabs. From the green crabs. Wow. Um, Those other factors yeah. have, have affected the, the eelgrass beds as well, but uh, the green crabs are certainly one of the huge uh, driving having factors, a big yeah. impact on it. Um, you know, the invasive species problem is is huge all all over the place. But yeah. The, the green crabs are very destructive and very prolific, um, so they've done a lot to damage. And uh, eelgrass beds, though, are under pressure from all kinds of things. Heavy nutrient loading in the estuaries yeah. from runoff and things like that are also having a big impact on it. Um, they're getting smothered sometimes, you know, by by runoff, by silt and stuff is, is smothering the beds. So with the green crabs adding to that, it's mm-hmm. creating even more of a, of a problem. So. And they also burrow into the banks and stuff, and they undermine them and make them erode faster and stuff. Yeah, yeah. they cause marsh erosion, um, which is bad for a whole slew of reasons. <laughs> but um, a single female green crab can mate once or, or up to twice a year, and she can have 185,000 to 190,000 eggs on her, which obviously, yes, not all of those make it, but a lot of them do. What would be the survival rate on something like that? Oof, I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure what the survival rate is out of... But I know they grow very fast, too. When did it become apparent? And and this may be a better question for you, Eric, with your... Do you know... Like, I remember green crabs always being present, but I don't remember the emphasis on how bad of an invasive species they were when I was younger. When did it become really apparent how bad they were to the environment? Do you recall? I think that's really been uh, noticed probably in the last 15 years or so that uh, it's become apparent because the populations of them have just grown so, so much. Um, initially, it maybe wasn't viewed as a big problem because it, they hadn't started wiping out the, the uh, soft shell clam beds. Um, I think when they spread up into Maine, it became even more apparent because so much of the soft shell clam industry is down east. And that's when it became even more apparent to people, hey, these things are a huge problem. And I don't think it was until, you know, 10, 15 years ago that started realizing the impact they were also having on eelgrass beds, which impacts 
uh, a lot of different species that use those as nursery grounds uh, for the for the young fry of various species of fish, including things like winter flounder. Um, and I think it was around that time, yeah, 10, 15 years that people started realizing, wow, these, these are really a huge problem. Uh, I'm sure there were scientists that have been looking at it prior to that, realizing that it might become a problem. But uh, yeah, it's, so it's been known for a good while. For a while. Yeah. When did you guys first see a market develop for these? When when did you guys realize that you could focus on catching this evasive species and do it for a living? So you still can't make a full living off of just green crabs because they unfortunately they aren't worth that much money. So like a, like we said before, like a bushel of green crabs is is maybe depending on who you're selling to and who's buying from you, like 15 or 20 bucks okay. for just a bushel. So a lot of people do it kind of like a supplement thing with like either lobstering or another type of fishery and it's just to make some extra money. But it wasn't until I took my environmental science class in, for me anyways, um, in college that I had to do a project on an invasive species and I picked green crabs because it meant that I could fish them because I knew that he was fishing them and doing uh, studies on them so he had all the traps so I could just go with you and you're she's pointing at her father by the way for, the, for, <laughs> oh, yeah. for those of you that aren't here she's pointing at her father <laughs> yeah so um I did a whole project on that and that's when I also found out about the greencrab.org that is trying to create more of a food market for them and that would be where the big money would have if that can break the surface kind of so they started they have a whole recipe book so that people can learn how to cook them they have a bunch of different classes they have a bunch of different tutorials like online um so they started trying to create a market for the the food and or at least a bigger market for it and educate people on that so that's i think when i i kind of realized that so that's when i got into it but i knew that charlie was already fishing for his buddy just here and there but then in some other places, the green crabbing kind of has died off because of the Asian shore crabs, which kind of killed those off. So now uh, we stepped it up with our bait guy because he can't get them from other people. Which I just learned today from you folks, because I had never even heard of those, is another invasive crab that has now become a problem as well. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So that invasive crab is actually killing out this other invasive crab? Not, we haven't seen that here yet, um, but I know, at least from what we've heard in Rhode Island, that's happened in Rhode Island, so there's not many green, like, not like what it is, like, here or in Massachusetts, um, or Maine, so, yeah. So they have that in Maine, too, so they, like, skipped over the New Hampshire coastline? Is that right? No, the, uh, green crabs. So, oh, yeah. oh, oh, I see what you're saying. I got you. I got you. So, when you were fishing for them early on, which you were saying you are fishing for your friend, that you were already trapping them at that point for like someone who was selling them or was this just to catch bait for personal use? So when I first started, it was just my buddy that I was actually fishing with commercially rod and reel down in Rhode Island. Um, he was having a hard time buying them for bait. And I was like, well, yeah, we need crabs. I can, I can go <laughs> home and bring you back crabs. Like I got a million of them. Mm -hmm. So that's why I first, I didn't even know it was a, a thing at the first. So I started bringing him like, you know, I bring like go home and bring a cooler back or something like that. And, just enough for like our to commercially fish with personally and stuff and 
And then after that... And our, what were you targeting? Uh, Totog. Totog. Yep. Totog or Blackfish. And uh, so we were doing that commercially, so I was just getting our own bait for ourselves for free. And, um, and then I think it was pretty much the next year after that, probably like 2013 maybe, um, our other friend that owns a tackle shop, he was having a hard time getting enough. And he heard from your and buddy. And he, he knew that we had been, yeah. I'd been bringing stuff down for ourselves, and he was like, dude, you can get me like a little bit here and there, so I started doing it that way, and then... And then just kind of... Around when me and Nicole started fishing together was when he was really getting a shortage, so we started just actually bringing them full-time. We were kind of his... So now we're just the full-time crab people yeah. for him. So. That's great. But it started off just, yeah, per- kind of personal, and then... Kind of which helping was, him out with a few coolers here and there, and then it turned into he just can't get them, so we just yeah, which was really great his, through the lockdown because we weren't locked down from being you able know, to work, yeah, able to work, and so it gave us a lot to do, and kind of got to grow it a little bit more by really putting all that time in this past year into the business. So, how far south will your crabs make it for bait? Because I know that there's the blackfish fishery pretty far down south so how far will your bait end up connecticut new jersey i don't know where else i think probably not much further than that about that about there yeah people that are willing to drive to (laughs) well that's it Uh, you know you can't go too far because it's just you know the the price you can get for them just isn't there to, to make it worth driving right real long distances so if you get down to you know, New, New Jersey is probably yeah. about as far as you're so going to want to... We actually had a guy that reached out for the crabs over the spring, and he ended up backing out because he didn't want to have to drive all the way here. And, and it was the end of his kind and, of the last yeah. few weeks of his season, and it but wasn't really But we were like, it. well, we can't go any lower than, I think it was like $23 or something for a bushel, because we were going to... That's like what bait for us, and traps and just just our time and everything would cost to just right that would be break even proposition which as we all know as boat owners that's losing money because because you have bills to pay for the boat and if something breaks in the boat so you're not making money to put back into the boat so yeah breaking even on commercial fishing boats is losing money because you know that even if you don't see it right at that moment you are losing some something is breaking or wear and tear is going on something (laughs) yeah Without a doubt. I mean, you got to be able to pay yourself, too. I mean, you can't... Yeah. You, you can't just break even for the boat mm-hmm. and not be able to pay yourself. Uh, then it's just not... It's not worth it. Right. But that's where, like you said, this isn't... Uh, you know, you can't make a full living off of off of green crabs. It's a good cash supplement to uh, doing other things. Right. And it's only part of the year. So right. we're only fishing from when we start... Late March, March, late, March yeah. to late March to June, and then August to uh, December, whenever you think you can. Yeah, the very beginning of August, so we started setting traps again in July, but didn't see obviously money until the season just opened, or it's opening tomorrow for Rhode Island. So then, yeah, so we start now and then through December. Probably through the end of December. Yeah. How okay? So say like a blackfish season opens up in one of these states, and I don't know how the laws are now. I don't know, do states have different rules, or is it the whole yeah. coast? Yeah, states, states have different, different rules and different seasons. And so I know that Rhode Island, I think, closes before, like, New Jersey or Connecticut, I think. 
but also it's tough like it opens tomorrow but like the commercial charter boats won't start going they won't start targeting the blackfish till later in the season because it's not it's worth not it for them yet so they'll stay with like the striped bass and the other stuff and they'll so so do you stage like recreational so do you stage how you catch them then and like how, how do you know when to go haul gear do you haul gear like, is it based on orders? Like, well, is it yeah. only yeah. based on orders? Much, yeah. We don't want to haul them too early so they're not sitting around too long and try to give them as fresh a... Yeah, so at the beginning, them. like, so, like, right now, we did, like, what, mm, like, 25, 30 bushels yeah. for just this first trip. But then that'll turn into whatever, nine crates. I don't remember how many bushels. 60 bushels. Yeah, 60 bushels like twice a week. So that'll like ramp up in a couple weeks and be like 60 bushels twice a week for one guy. What does a bushel like convert to? Like how many baits is that for people? Like how, like how many crabs is there on average on like a bushel? Like how how, how many fish will that convert like to? Five five-gallon bucket or three five-gallon? I forget. I think for like a bushel a was like 12 gallons, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not but sure how many we, we haven't actually counted how many crabs go into yeah. <laughs> making that, but uh, but it's uh, is it hundreds? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Hundreds of crabs. Mm-hmm. Hundreds. Yeah. I think a bushel weighs what, like thirty pounds or so, right? Yeah. But I'm not sure. Any idea what the average crab weighs? Hmm. God. <laughs> No, you know, uh, yeah, I don't think we've ever <laughs> delved into that yeah. those yeah. numbers. Just, I was uh, just curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, uh, but I don't know. The reason I asked one of these things too is because bait back at home for us has gotten so expensive yeah. that we know, like down to the price per bait, what it is like. Especially if you throw gear like I do, yeah. and we know, like, okay, well, it, one bait's thirty-seven cents a hook, or one sixty-seven cents a hook, like. Right. Start to factor in, like, does that one fish that much better than a 30 cent more? Oh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I got it. Right. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess this is just very different because it's more just a volume thing of, of crabs and uh, you're paid by the volume uh, more than the count. Uh, right. Right. And, and it varies some, but it's, I don't know, there's maybe, depending on the size of the crabs, what, maybe 20. 20 some crabs to, to a pound. So, I was kind of thinking that. I was trying to think about it. Like around 20, like if we weigh those. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Do different states like different sized crabs for bait? Have you found anything regionally like different sized crabs are preferred anywhere? I do know that, at least in Rhode Island, a lot of the guys prefer the smaller crabs. Yeah, Um, I think they actually like that we seem to have a pretty good variety of small and larger crabs and yeah. i guess when they get them from like the wholesalers a lot of them are all just the all, huge, all huge ones yeah huge ones so i guess they actually prefer having a mixed bag and some small ones kind of mixed in there right it so, seems to be a an individual fisherman's preference yeah. uh, the the sport fishermen what what they like and uh there does seem to be a preference for the smaller ones but there seems to be some guys that like the bigger ones and maybe they're doing that because they they want to maybe hope to attract a larger uh, tatag and uh, yeah. <laughs> and catch the bigger ones and uh, rather than just numbers of fish. So may, maybe that plays into it. But there's definitely a personal preference I think on the part of fishermen that drives it. So when a guy is selling bait, 
uh, he'll get guys that'll prefer the big ones, but mostly it seems like they like the, the smaller, smaller ones. But most of them are, are cut anyway. They're, you know, it's not like, uh, okay, this one is this size, it'll fit on a hook. This one I'll have to cut. It seems like they, they really cut the... And a lot of charter boats now, too, are being advised to cut them in half or at least kill them before you put them on the hook because if they get off, then they could potentially start being invasive in a state that maybe doesn't have the problem that we do. Oh, right. That makes sense. Yeah. So they want them to either have the knife through the head or be cut in half. If that's the case, why can't they be frozen and saved for the next season or something like that? I'm not sure. I feel like they would. I don't know. They always want them fresh, though. I'm yeah. not sure what the... I mean, maybe it's been tried and they're less uh, effective. I mean, I know some sometimes bait and crabs and stuff included, uh, after they've been frozen for a period of time, the, the shells become uh softer yeah. and maybe the, they don't stay on the hook as as well as fresh fresh crab so that may be a piece of it because you could potentially if you had like a way to do so if you freeze and distribute bait that way like if i wanted to send it to some i don't know somebody farther away and i wanted to freeze it and sell it they do come back to life even after being frozen for a few days yeah, a couple so, of days yeah. they, they will but not all of them no yeah so, not all of them but so it's wait just but just say that again for the people listening because i found that fascinating you can literally freeze a crab like totally frozen yeah. and some of them will thaw out and live again yes <laughs> how does that work I... but i i think that also plays into their hibernation yeah. because they you know i know they're well, hibernation is though. different though because they don't yeah. freeze but we've experienced it we're freeze them and uh did that weird you out the first time you saw that yeah i guess so Zombie crab. in my job too part we've actually been looking at the green crab populations in in hampton harbor actually for a long time as part of the environmental monitoring studies that we do there and it it is in relation to the clam populations we look at what's the green crab population doing so we look at catch per unit effort of the green crabs uh, and then compare it to some very large surveys we do of the, the clam flats every year and have tried over time to relate increases in the population of green crabs to reductions in the number of clams. So we, for years, have uh, trapped the, the green crabs and we would do we would measure them all too, get sizes and relative sizes we we haven't done that now doing the measurements for a long time it's just counts because the sizes or sex didn't seem to matter but anyway we used to freeze them in bags because it was easier to measure them after where they were frozen and they're not all running around trying to bite you so <laughs> but then we did find that you had to leave them in the freezer for several days because if it was only a day or two you'd take them out and go to measure them and they'd start waking up and crawling around <laughs> being hard, more difficult to measure so so that's where that's kind a of trip experience, experience it you know dumping them out and, so yeah. did your findings find a direct correlation between the green crab numbers and the effect on the cl- clams i don't we weren't able to really Determine relate that that that, that, that was significant but again there wasn't huge 
fluctuations that we were able to see in the population of the green crabs. Um, so we know it's having an impact, but maybe not directly. There's other things that are impacting that as well. Uh, the green crabs moving in have definitely reduced the numbers, particularly on certain of the flats. And again, you can, we can see some relationship to that by the number of green crabs, but that doesn't tell the whole story. So it's, it's definitely not a direct uh, correlation that we could ever make to saying, yeah, it's, it's all the green crabs. But there's, there's just a lot of influences, you know, clams when they spawn, their larvae actually go out to sea and get washed in and out and then come back in. So there's other things that are impacting how much of them end up settling out on the flats uh, in the, over the course of the spawning season of clams. Are, this is a side note, but I'm curious as a kid, are the clam flats in this area in trouble? They've actually recovered uh, some. and They were closed. They, well, they had been closed yeah. for a... a good period of time and they're only open there's no commercial digging uh, in in the Hampton Seabrook estuary it's only recreational digging and it's only open on a couple of days uh, a week and that's mostly through the winter um, one day a week Saturday right? oh yeah now it's yeah. just Saturday it was a couple of days and now it's only Saturdays so they're uh, but they have recovered. We saw, we're seeing actually some better numbers. And there's some theories too that part of it is the amount of fishing pressure that's being put on the green crabs in the estuary because there's three, three uh, different fishermen that are now fishing for green crabs in the estuary and have been for a few years. And so that may be helping control the population Although some studies have indicated that no matter how much pressure you put on them, you're only keeping it level. You're not you're reducing the Yeah, the you're basically keeping it where it is. Like, it won't get any bigger, but it won't get any, right? Smaller. Yeah. I've heard that from a few. And there's some, because there's also some indications that as the populations of the green crabs are, are fished down, they start spawning more frequently to make up for the reduction uh. in, in numbers. Um, so that's where there's some, some studies and all of this is, you know, I think fairly new and, and not well studied yet that would indicate that the populations are kind of stabilizing themselves, but you're keeping the populations from exploding by trying to keep some fishing pressure on them. Uh, but again... Do they have any effect on sea worms? Do they eat sea worms? Because I and I know I had asked you briefly because as when I was a kid I used to dig sea worms. I used to get right. paid for them for the local bait shop, and then the other day I found out that you know sea worms are like non-existent here that they're getting from way down east. Do you think the green crabs are eating the sea worms? You know I don't I don't know that I've ever seen any direct information on on them eating sea worms but in some ways it stands to reason if they're uh, going after juvenile clam necks coming up <laughs> they would, because they'll eat anything um, I think in this estuary it's been depleted 
partly because of changes, as I talked about earlier, in in the the makeup of the flats and the way the sands and the, and sediments are shifting so much, and also the complete loss of mussel beds, which the uh, the the sea worms and the clam worms and blood worms and all yet they like that soft mud that was held there by the the mussel beds. Mussels all over New England, mussel beds have been just dying out. Um, and so I think that that may be a bigger piece of it than than the green crabs is the, the loss of the mussel beds, which also helped stabilize those flats. So the sands and stuff weren't shifting all the time, which makes it hard for a worm to establish uh, itself in, in a location if it's constantly moving. So that may be a bigger impact than the, the crabs themselves. We should find out whether they eat worms. Maybe yeah. we should do some. Well, I know they'll grab one on right. a flounder hook, but yeah. will yeah. they? Yeah. I don't know if they actually have been responsible for the loss of those. That might be the next grant. There we go. <laughs> next thing to study. But, I mean, we still see some worms, but I know what you mean. The, the numbers of them are gone because guys did used to, to dig them, especially younger guys would be out there. I used to smash them on the tide. Yeah. That was like my, I would go, I made a really good living doing right. when I was younger. And then yeah. I'd talk to other guys like, nah, it doesn't happen anymore. Right, right. The, the bait shops, uh, for a long time, they weren't even able to get them. And, uh, People have switched to trying to fish with other stuff uh, because they couldn't get them. I don't know where our bait guy gets them in Rhode Island, but I know that he also has been having a shortage in the worms. He because asked us, he about, asked us if we yeah. could get dig and get them, but we were like, "Oh, there's not really that many yeah. here either." Like, do we really so. want to get into that? <laughs> no, it, it, it takes take a, a while lot of effort to get, now. To, yeah, to, to get a few. You get to, there, you get to the flat. Yeah, like whenever we Without go. that many. We dig clams and, you know, we'll get a whole peck, and it's a huge, pretty big spot you dig out for that. And then we get, like, maybe, what, like, four or five worms each, maybe, after digging out that huge trench. Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is recreational in Hampton? Is one peck yeah. now? Yeah. One peck, yeah. One peck per person. Yep. Yeah. And one day a week. Yep, Saturdays. If the water quality is good and everything right. it can still be closed but if it rains really hard they might close it down because of the water quality bacteria and yeah they still catch someone uh illegally clamming over there once in a while i remember they used to get some guys here and oh, there yeah. oh i'm sure yeah. i'm sure they do they were you used to have <laughs> I, pro I probably shouldn't even share i know i'm like we're gonna get killed <laughs> well well, I know that... I was going to mention a certain town that was usually involved in that, but I bit my tongue yeah. as well. <laughs> but uh, there was a guy I used to work with that then went, uh, became a fish and game officer in New Hampshire. And, uh, yeah, they used to set up, actually, with, with night scopes and watch the uh, the flats because they knew of guys that were going out there at night and day. I mean... And they would get them... <laughs> I will not say who, but we have definitely witnessed when we're out in the flats, we'll see one guy that's there before us finish, grab a different boat and a different set of clothes, and then they're Come like, back out. digging again. And we're just like, all right, well, okay. I've also gone out, like, middle of the week and seen freshly dug holes that haven't even washed out yet. Yeah. Really. So. People do it. So people go out at night and yeah. do it. 
Guess there's always been a bit of that, hasn't there? <laughs> you got to get that in anything. You got to be po poaching, whether it's fisheries or deer anything. or anything. You always get some some poachers that don't want to follow the rules. Yep. <laughs> Where do you guys see the future of the green crab business going? Because you had briefly touched upon the fact that some people are trying to make them food. Right. What do you guys think about that? What are your thoughts on eating them? So I've tried the stock before and I I liked it. I loved it. It was it was just more rich and like a velvety texture that it added to like a seafood stock. So um, I've also tried them fried soft shell ones, which we've actually grabbed a couple times. Like when we get the little jelly ones, we'll try and do the different recipes we have from that greencrab.org book. Um, the one recipe I really want to try. Well, what were your uh, thoughts on that? On which one? On the soft shell. Oh, I loved it. It was good. Plus, we get to take them out anyways, because if we leave the soft shells in the crate, the other crabs will just eat them anyways. And then they rot and die and kill the other ones. Yeah, gotcha. So get yeah. them kind of get them out either way and do something. But they're them. already a delicacy in Italy, so people that can get the green crabs there make a fortune on those soft shells that can figure out when they're gonna molt and have it kind of dialed in. They may, I, do you remember what it was? Like how much money they make on? I can't remember how much money, but I know they, they're able to actually target the soft shells and yeah. they can tell like color wise, like if you look at their bellies, mm -hmm. I think they're white yeah. like, right before they're about to molt and they'll separate them. And then as soon as they get soft, they'll sell them and I know yeah. it's a huge difference in profit. But. Yeah. So they're already a delicacy in the food industry mm. there. Now are they actually, when you say those people that are shipping, is that happening in the United States or those are people in Europe that are onto that, that are shipping them to Italy? Yeah. That, that's the Italians themselves that are uh, doing that. It's a fishery there and that's uh, and they have determined how to look at a crab and tell it. And nobody here seems to have figured that out yet. I don't I know don't if they know look about, a little yeah. different yeah. here, but <laughs> they, they can just pick through them on a table like this, and they just don't even—they barely even look at them, and they can just somehow go through yeah. them. With and the, they sort them and hold them in tanks until they molt, and then pull out the the soft shells, and it's a yeah, it's a delicacy and fetches a high price. So you could figure that out here, uh, so you could get more money for the the crabs. So, you know, once you get into something that becomes a desirable food obviously the price goes up when it's just being used for bait you know it's it's not gonna the price point only goes so high yeah right, right. so um well, maybe you need to get one of those guys out here on vacation yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seriously uh, that would be that would be pretty cool and that uh, you know they the, the blue crab fishery down south they've got that dialed in those guys can tell uh, what they call the peelers when they're getting ready to shed uh, uh, as they refer to it, not molting, but shedding. Mm -hmm. They they separate them and they keep them in, in tanks uh, because the soft shell blue crabs also fetch a premium price over the hard shell crabs. So, so good. If you could figure that out with the green crabs, it'd be, uh, be really cool. Have has any restaurants locally tried to take them on? So I when I did my project i do know that the unh i think had a restaurant themselves and they were doing it but then moxie in portsmouth they're kind of like a um tapas type style restaurant they always had like green crab something for soup with them the soft shells so they were getting them from local fishers and they had it on their menu did you try it 
I didn't know that they didn't have it when I was doing the project and I looked into the restaurants that had them. So I wish I did because I would have rather had a chef prepare it than me trying to figure out a good way to cook these things. <laughs> yeah. So. What about odor? Same as a lobster? Different? Oh, so bad. bad. So bad. Ah. Right? Yeah. Because a lot of people have even tried to use them as fertilizer, but the smell in the yard is just horrid. It's they they smell like when you when we have so a couple die. You're in talking the, about the dead ones. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh. Like you were talking more about the smell of them oh, when, the they're, when they're ones. cooking. You I, I was wondering about when you're boiling because oh. because I know that some crabs are quite pungent and that's kind of a turn off. And then some like you know lobsters like lobsters boil pretty clean, but there's some crabs that's yeah. So well, the green crabs didn't, yeah, they really, don't, didn't really yeah. smell any no, worse than a lobster mm-hmm. when, when you're cooking it. Yeah, yeah. oops, not so bad. So I meant when they're dead. <laughs> well, well, dead lobster doesn't smell very good yeah. either. Yeah. They're, pre- they're pretty wretched as oh, well. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. There will be like just two or three dead ones in a crate sometimes, and it smells like the whole thing is just rotting. It's and you pick and you pick through them, and there's like two or three ones in there that are making the whole thing just. And That's it. Will, it. That smell yeah. will kill the other ones. It's kind of interesting. They so. You know, like they won't just eat the other dead lot, the other dead crabs, or because they're in a pen, they're not in a feeding mode. So they don't. I don't. So I don't know. I know they do eat the soft shell ones, but even then, it's only like they eat the legs off because that's so. Green crabs themselves don't have much meat in their bodies, so it's kind of like their claws, their legs. But then you'll still have like the body with like all the stuff inside. Yeah. That's like what's left. You know. Part of it too, when they're being held in a crate like that, there's so many piled on top of each other that it might even become difficult to try and feed. And and, uh, right. and it, once one is dead and starting to rot at the bottom, I don't know that the others can even get at it real well when there's a lot of them all piled on each other in a crate like that. Uh, so I think that's part of it. And so they start to rot, and once they start to rot, it can start killing off more and more of them uh, just the well for one thing it probably the as it's decomposing it takes out the oxygen around it and so it starts killing off more of them um, and that's where you know when they're kept in a crate they do better and you have less mortality than keeping them like in bags on on shore but the the difference being that once one dies in there, there it's not absorbing all the oxygen around because you got more air can get get to them and they can uh, keep absorbing oxygen from the air. Whereas when they're in the water, uh, it can deplete the the oxygen around that decomposing animal and uh, cause others to start dying off. That's. Uh, it's nasty though. And yeah, they suck. Even one or two of them dead in a crate. You gotta find them. Yeah, you gotta up. find usually, them. Usually they end up in the bottom and there's 100 pounds of other crabs on top of them. So, so you have to like dump the 100 pounds into another crate and slowly and sift through them and find where the dead ones are. Well, that does, that sounds bad. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, uh, that sounds bad. Uh, and when you get them, okay. What is the longest that you'll sit on them before you sell them? Like, say you have, like, do you guys get really big orders where you know that you have to stockpile for it? Or, like, what is the longest you can hold them before um, you'll drop them off? So, in the summer, they really can only sit unless we move them more towards, like, 
colder water, yeah. but um, and that just be, being held in the river with that warmer water and like a lot of the rain, they really only last for maybe like four to five days, maybe a week, but that's pushing it. They'll get really weak, and then when you deliver them, they'll look kind of good, but then we'll get calls being like they're all dead, <laughs> and we're like, ooh. Uh, so you try and. Keep, uh, <laughs> you try and keep fewer, put fewer in a crate right. when the water temperatures get get warmer, and then we sometimes do move some of the crates down, down to the harbor more where the water you get more cold ocean water coming in. Saltier, so they, and it's uh, and that helps. Uh, they definitely can last longer, but really a week. Yeah, a week is pushing, pushing it. Up. Yeah, and yeah, because then they'll just. We want our buyers to be happy too, so we don't. We really try to make sure. I know a lot, like a lot of guys, don't really pick through the dead ones, but we don't want those in there. So when you get them, they're they should all be alive. Maybe over the drive, maybe a couple maybe die, but I mean, from who we've sold to, they're always they love that about ours that they're they're like feisty and trying to attack you when they're taking them out. Whereas if you get them from other places, they're almost like half dead. I must have had my kids working on the boat throwing them in there maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There might be a few more. Yeah, yeah. I, I was picking through. <laughs> I was like, this one's dead. I'm going to say, after my children being on the boat today, there might be a little higher uh, no, higher good. loss than usual. They were a bit tough on them. I'm, I, I got to apologize. I, no, they were fun. They, fine. Yeah, they're fine. I'm, I'm so crazy about, like, my whole business has been based around quality. So, like, I'm, like, I, I'm super picky. Like, I just, I, I just look at every fish that comes off the boat as like an extension of me mm-hmm. so like when i see the kids like hurting someone else's product it's just like my skin is just like crawling yeah. so, <laughs> so sorry it was like they were no it's that's no it's fine they're they're they are really hardy i you mean can... I've, I've had them live in the boat i'll find them sometimes and even they'll if we take alive, a few days off even I in come the back winter and they'll be alive. they'll find some little a little bit of water or something and they'll be fine for days yeah yeah they're hardy. As long as they stay moist. I mean, I've definitely had times where they've pinched through my glove and I've been like, <laughs> thrown the thing on the ground and been, just stepped on it and been like, I don't even care. Because <laughs> it hurts so bad. I'm out of here. I'd start bleeding <laughs> through my bow. glove. Those real giant ones, they get you and it goes right through your glove and it's, oh, sucks. Yeah, Canyon had a little bit of tears today. I, I don't know how big the one that was grabbing, but I knew it was just a matter of time when he wasn't having gloves and he kept like being really, right before really he bold. It, he picked up the big one and he's like, "Its legs are wrapped around me, but his finger was right near that picture." I'm like, "That's gonna get you." And then two seconds later, I hear the crying, and I was like, <laughs> "Got him!" And I was like, "That thing got him." He did not have gloves on, which he did for the most of the whole day. Right. And I was like, "That thing." Smoke some can kind of get like behind their backs even yeah like, they're like lobster some can be double jointed oh yeah yeah uh, <laughs> aside from the crabs and i i i know i asked you guys this on the boat but now that we're doing the podcast what is the coolest other thing you've seen in the traps besides green crabs like other things you've caught lobster or just green crab traps well both let's hear both you got both yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean we, we like to hear all about all cool things being caught so the coolest thing I've caught in the green crab traps, which I didn't even really, because we don't have uh, this black sea bass here, really. I mean, a couple guys catch them here or there that pretty, I've heard of. Pretty rare. I, I, can yeah. me- I remember when I used to haul gear growing up, I, I saw two, and they were on back-to-back days, and the only two I ever saw. Right, and that's happened, too, in lobster traps. We've... There's, there's a few more around these yeah. days than there used to be. Uh, definitely a 
spot them once in a while. But yeah, the, the, the black sea bass are not really common up in this area. But now in the river, in the green crab traps, we've actually caught, like what, at least once a week or so? Like maybe every yeah. other week we get one or two of the tiny little baby black sea bass. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they've been moving in. Yeah, so I've been sure. like, wow, this is like the most I've ever seen of these things. But, but that, that's another one uh, that have come up in the uh, in lobster traps now is, is uh, blue crabs. Yeah. All the way up here. Really? Yeah. The vicious yeah. lady crab. I yeah. caught, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, they're not supposed to be up here, but they're they're moving. They're moving further and further, further north. Yeah, we've caught a that's blue a, crab. You know, ocean temperatures are warming, and they're able to migrate further, further and further north. So, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's crazy. I mean, we've... Saw a lot of them uh, moving up even a few years ago, like into Boston Harbor, and they hadn't been there before. But now there's a lot of them in in Boston, and they're working their way up here now too. So is there a market for those now? Do they catch uh, enough where they can sell them? No, not yet. Uh, not yet. I don't think there's any real fishery for for blue crab much north of uh, Maryland still, because the, the numbers aren't aren't the there to target there. them. But there's, I mean, we. Although we we used to get a lot of them in uh, in the lower Hudson River, they worked down there for a few years, and uh, actually on striped bass tagging operation, we we're sort of trawling down down the Hudson, and we used to pull up a lot of blue crab down there too. But there's still no fishery for them there. It's not enough, I guess, yet. Right. <laughs> really interesting. What else have you? I mean, one of the things I think is cool that comes up in the trap sometimes is the uh, the lump fish. Uh, oh, suckers. I love those. They are really cool. cool. So cool. I mean, That's... we caught a vicious lady crab last year um, in the lobster traps. You know, what? I'm going to take a quick pause right now, if that's right, because we're coming up on an hour. Yeah. Oh, geez. And um, <laughs> we're just going to take a quick pause, and then I want to hear all about the vicious lady crab. Normally, I'd keep rolling, but at one hour, uh, this app stops and i don't want to miss the story so <laughs> let's uh let's we're, take a quick pause here we're talking to okay so when we took a quick break there you were just starting to tell us about a vicious lady crab what is that like, so it's she the crab got their name because they are super vicious and just when so people how would, big is this crab you're showing um, my hands it looks like it's 30 pounds it's like this is the body Kind of looks like a blue crab. It looks but like the a blue color crab, but they're purpley and pinkish. So, how big is that crab for people that can't visually see you doing the crab hand thing right now? <laughs> <laughs> There's a picture of it on my Instagram. <laughs> six inches or something? Yeah. yeah five, or, five or six inches across the yeah, I mean, carapace. Yeah. But they get their name because if uh, people are swimming, they, they go in the shallow water usually. They'll just start grabbing people's... What? Oh, yeah, they're vicious. And we, when we were trying to get it out of the trap, the thing what was a just... a terrible crab. Oh, my God, nasty. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was just constantly, and it was, like, hissing at you. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. We had it up for the picture, and I was like, it's hissing at me. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and where do those things come from? Uh... I know they're from down south, like the Carolinas have them, but I don't know. Yeah, you don't usually see them up here. Yeah. 
I know like a couple other guys that have caught them here or there in their traps, but not like frequently or anything. Oh, they're definitely a southern. It was after a really big storm, so it's probably. We sometimes get weird stuff, you know, you get the storms that come up, uh, particularly if it's like a tropical depression or something that drives up the, the coast, and it'll actually cause a, a spin-off of a part of the, the Gulf Stream that runs further out, and it'll actually make its way, so there'll be this pocket of warmer water that'll sometimes carry in animals that you wouldn't normally see here. Usually that's fish, you know, Trigger more pelagic fish. stuff, but uh, kind of cool, but... Do you get trigger fish in the traps? Uh, I've gotten one, and you've also one uh, for Miss Silver, actually. He used to get the trawls, and he would do that and then bring in some of those species for her little tank in, her, in the classroom in high school. And then he got a puffer fish and a trigger fish, which she actually put in her wow. tropical tank. And it, I don't know if it's still alive, but when I left, it was still alive for a couple of years. <laughs> which one was alive still? The puffer? trigger fish. Oh, the trigger? Really? Yeah. It was just a little, little, tiny one. Yeah. But but that's usually, yeah, like I said, a comes when you get kind of a spin-off pocket comes off of the, that Gulf Stream, that warmer water, and mm -hmm. it'll carry some tropical or subtropical species, yeah, subtropical, I guess. Yeah. But, so that's kind of cool when you see those show up. Uh, Will you see any green crabs that have anomalies? Like, you know how you can catch, like, a blue lobster or a calico lobster, or, you know, like, one size normal and one size white or whatever? Will you see any crabs that are like that? We've caught ones that had white uh, claws or white legs, or all white claws and white legs, but the body still wasn't white. But actually, we've gotten all white one yeah. in the winter this year. We've seen ones where, yeah, the, the shell, instead of being green, is white or half white. Yeah. Or, uh, we've seen some, like, purplish. Some, yeah, we've seen yeah. some purplish few, ones. Not, like, solid, but definitely noticeable. Yeah. We also saw um, in the winter in December when we were taking the traps out in very shallow water, like what, like three or four feet, we saw a sturgeon cruising. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah, we looked down and we were like, that is a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... That was this winter? Yeah. yeah. How big was it? Uh, like three or four feet. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was pretty good size because it, yeah. it, it was very clear. We saw it through yeah, the water. Slowly <laughs> just went right it, by the boat. Yeah, right by the boat was just cruising. It's nice to know there's still some alive. I mean... Yeah, well, we we get them. We do these research trawls uh, off of uh, Salisbury uh, a couple times a month, and we've been picking up uh, sturgeon periodically out there. Uh, Big ones. Definitely more more regularly now than uh, we've seen them in years. Uh, you know, we probably pick up, well, I don't know, six, 12 of them a year uh, out there. They're around because they go up the Merrimack River. Uh, well, that's encouraging. They are up, up, up in there. So, yeah, I mean, they're still listed as uh, as threatened species in the, actually, uh, all along the North Atlantic, I believe, they're still listed as a, as a threatened species. I don't think they're listed as endangered, but, so the, and uh, we've actually done tagging stuff on them up on the Penobscot River, uh, tagging the, the sturgeon up there. Uh, and there's a fair number of sturgeon in the Penobscot. Yeah. A few guys right catch them every year, too, drifting the jetty here in Hampton. Really? And, yeah. And we've even seen them when we've gone out striper fishing just about every summer. We see we saw two that jumped clear out of the water in the, in the channel there in the, at the jetty. We just I, looked and we were like, that 
was that a sturgeon? And we were like, nah, we kept going. And then we saw another one, we were like, yep, that was a sturgeon. <laughs> but you've said, like, a few guys have caught them drifting at the jetty. Well, they seem a lot more, too, in the Merrimack, like the party yeah. boats, because they drift there all the time. Yeah, They'll but see them more a few regularly. people have caught them in Hampton. Not, like, a lot, but... Wow, that's great. Like, I'm really happy to hear that, because I, you know, the gentleman I'm staying with right now, we were literally talking about how, like, when he first started gill netting off Hampton Beach, it was a near daily thing. It was a problem. They would spend like hours with some of these like real huge ones untangling them oh, wow. and they'd let it go. And the next day they'd catch the same damn thing in a net. <laughs> so then they would untangle them and they'd like bring them on the boat and they'd drive them like a thousand feet, you know, to like or whatever away. Yeah. And then they'd catch the same damn thing again in the same spot. Like it kept coming back to the same spot even when they moved it. Oh my God. And he said eventually, unfortunately, sometimes they'd get them and a lot of them were were dead right so oh that's epic (laughs) very cool very cool he was just showing me a picture on his instagram what was your instagram by the way (laughs) (laughs) it's uh the viking diver (laughs) the viking diver if you want to check out the uh, sturgeon that we're talking about he has it there on his instagram page and um as long as we're talking we should probably mention your instagram page as well (sighs) It's uh, that salty blonde with an underscore at the end. And then the man behind the camera, do you have an Instagram account? (laughs) (laughs) This is a standing joke here. Yeah, so he hasn't posted on it in... Four years. No, like six years. (laughs) So he doesn't know. And he won't let me post you on my Instagram. Mm. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want his girlfriend to know. Yeah. Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. no. I'm, just, I'm just. I follow you on there, though. Oh, well, thank you. Actually, he does follow <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, he follows me too, but he just never posts. Yeah, I just never post anything. I just like going on and looking at his stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Eh. I can respect that. You love all the fishing stuff. No. Well, I mean, it's like Facebook, like. I have a Facebook account, but hardly post anything. Yeah, I don't uh, post on, really uh, on my Facebook anymore. Mostly I get on Facebook and I look at it and I go, why do I still have a Facebook account? Yeah. You know? Aside from, like, some close friends, and uh, I don't know what the story is with those guys these days with the algorithm or whatever, but I only see the same four people, like, every time, which is fine, like, but supposedly I have all these other friends I've never seen on there, so. On Facebook or on? On Facebook. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't know I have, how that yeah. works either. I, I, I don't do anything on it anymore either. It's just, yeah. I mean, I've kept it because I've got some family overseas and stuff like that just to keep up with them on there because they don't do Instagram or anything. So keep up with uh, that, you know. Um, yeah. But they're the only ones I ever communicate with on, on yeah. Facebook. Canada and Norway. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys use... Uh, any of this stuff and I've been asking this question a lot do you use any of your social media stuff for your green crab business you know like I I I, I saw especially throughout the pandemic a lot of people I've talked to is that social media was actually what kept their business going has that helped you guys so I've had a lot of people that have reached out and they've been super interested but then never followed through are they really super interested in the crabs though you think or well they were they needed (laughs) they (laughs) needed 
They were like, we really need the crabs. We're not getting them here. And we'll come drive all the way there. And then as soon as I said the price, they were like, nah. Then as soon as you said, my boyfriend will have the crabs <laughs> waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. That's another reason, too, that it sucks. Like, And that's why I think it's been hard posting about him, too. Because a lot of people will kind of assume. Which, it's fine if you got into fishing because of your boyfriend. Or, and that's totally fine. But I started fishing on my own, and I never wanted that to be, like, not mine. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. I don't want it to be my girlfriend's either. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I, like, worked really hard to, like, get on boats and do it on my own. And, like, I hate because, like, a few other fishermen in Hampton just see us together and assume, like, he's the, the head guy. And, it's, and I just fish with him for nothing. And it's really frustrating. <laughs> so... Uh, every relationship has its catch, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, if I go down to the beach, everybody knows that I'm not the surfer in my family. There is no, there is no question. Everybody knows that my girlfriend is the surfer, and I'm what they call the board daddy. I'm just the guy who once in a while carries a board. They know that I don't surf. Not like not like her, anyways. Not even close. So, um, you know, I would like to also because you guys were mentioning it, your future plans, and this is like a really good platform for it. And people may be interested or hurt. They, you know, they they heard about the uh, lobster tour and green crabs. Um, please feel free right now. I know you guys got some plans coming up. Kind of tell people about what you're going to do. And so, if they're in the future, they're looking to reach out to you. I know that uh, a lot of the guys that have been on this uh, in Kona already has converted to people have reached out to them for charters and stuff. So um, if you guys want to take a minute to talk about kind of your future stuff and plant that seed, please feel free to. Do you want to start? You can start. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm planning to retire from my marine biology job in the next year and a half or so. And, uh, so Nicole and Charlie and I have been talking about buying a, a boat together, a, a boat that can be versatile, do a little more real uh, commercial lobstering. I mean, we're doing some now, but it's on a very small scale. So building that up, but uh, then expanding on that to doing lobster tours, because that seems to be something that's become really popular. Um, and and a lot of people... That could be looking to, to book into doing that sort of thing and then also potentially running some fishing charters uh, in the summer as well, doing striper charters and that sort of thing off of it. So we're kind of uh, in the market, keeping our eye out for the right boat uh, now and with the intent of uh, trying to get that up and running in the next year or so. And I'll be getting my captain's license this fall. And Charlie already has his, what is, what is it in here? 100 ton. 100 ton license. So we are kind of already covered, but I just want it myself too. So. Great. It's good when I want to take the week off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got everything under control. So yeah, so hopefully we'll be doing lobster tours, striper charters, and then more in-depth commercial lobstering than we are now. And still doing the green crabs and maybe potentially doing tours, but it would have to be at the right tide because getting a bigger boat down the river, I mean, have to be at high tide. So that would be tide permitting, I feel. 
being able to actually take people to see the green crabs on a bigger boat. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Will you still keep the smaller boat for the green crab operation? Yeah. 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 It's just really easy to kind of zip around and... Yeah, it makes a lot more sense yeah. really, to, to work the, the estuary because you're not limited by having to have a high tide to get, right. get at things, which you would be in a bigger boat. So right. uh, it makes sense. And, you know, lower fuel costs and probably, in a way, lower, much lower maintenance costs, too, than running. Idling in the river for a yeah. long time. <laughs> yeah, you know, sucking up sediments and yeah. <laughs> you know, the cooling system and all of that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely be kind of a two-boat operation. Uh, and uh, uh, we'll see how uh, see where it goes, but uh, that's that's our plan. We're but he's to do a that funny place. story of how this came to be. It is uh, I have been begging to get a boat and commercial fish and just be have that be like my full time job is the water. So I begged him forever. Like my old boss when I worked at a bagel shop would always joke because he'd show my dad a picture of a boat he'd be like this is her boat this is for her and my dad was like don't show her that put that away (laughs) and so then literally during the covid lockdown my dad came back from work late one night when he was working like i think you're doing the trawls or something yeah probably late night shift and we just happened to be up and awake and he comes in the kitchen and he's just like so realistically what would you need like what licenses what do you need to have the boat like if you were going to do that tomorrow what what do you need everything and when i was like said like we talked about it when i needed he's like all right well you know maybe we'll start looking at some boats and i was just like are you drunk (laughs) (laughs) i was convinced he was drunk i think i asked you like 10 times and i started bawling my eyes out crying because i got so excited i was dancing around the kitchen he's just like yeah, you know, it's just you really, the ocean is where you want to be and you just love it. And I know that you also want a boat to keep diving after you retire too. But I was just so completely caught off guard. I never thought that that would happen. It's <laughs> <laughs> very exciting then. Yeah. So people that are listening to this and let's say they want to get a hold of you guys in the future or they have interest in your green crabs. What is the best way to get a hold of you guys now? Definitely through my Instagram page, um, that salty blonde with the underscore right now, because we don't really have, I don't have my number on there because I'd get hit up by a lot of weirdos. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't have that on there, but keeping it with the Instagram right now is, is best because I do always pay attention to like when people want the charters or the green crowd, like talking to me about anything that's very actually important and not just hey cutie how you doing <laughs> i get that a lot too but yeah. <laughs> that's why i don't post <laughs> i you know i wasn't gonna bring that up but you probably do get your fair share of inappropriate messages i would guess is oh that true oh my gosh yeah so every time i get i'm really scared and i'm sorry to the people i don't respond to sometimes because i get pictures sent to me and it's usually somebody's junk and so Junk. a couple of times, they're dicks. I get dick pics. <laughs> <laughs> and usually I would, it, you know, it doesn't I knew blur. what that meant. I was just forcing <laughs> you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you get like the blurred picture and it says tap to preview or whatever. Oh, so I would, un- I would keep <laughs> tapping and it'd be dick pics. 
So now I'm scared to open any picture, and I'll have a guy that will message me, like, really cool. He catches, like, blue lobsters or white lobsters or just cool stuff. He's like, yeah, I just thought of you. I wanted to send you this. I thought it was cool. I won't open the picture because I don't know. <laughs> it no. really is that. Check out the big one I got. <laughs> yeah, I I'm like, I start, it unblurs, I'm like, kind of looks like a shirtless dude, so I'm going to stop, I'm blurring it. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, I, I feel for you. I, I, I've I, talked to a couple other girls, and I think the stuff you guys have to put up online is, I, I don't have that. I mean, the only, once, once in a while, I have a gay guy that sends me a message, like, <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, just... <laughs> it, it, it's almost always the same thing. Be like, hey, you need another mate in your life? And I'm like, oh, no. Like, not again. It's always these cheesy lines. What a great lines. cheesy line. Like, oh, no, not again. One guy, which I have to give him props, it was a really creative line. He sent me a picture of a blue lobster, and he was like, just like you, babe, you're one in a million. Like the blue lobster. No. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Is, is that your boyfriend now? Uh, no. no. <laughs> I would have sent you like a calico or something. <laughs> something even rarer. Something even rarer. Uh, no, you're very quiet and very. You were never like. I just don't stop talking. <laughs> oh. Problem I have. <laughs> he actually talks a lot. You just don't ever let him speak. Uh, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, he talks to me a lot. I, don't know. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Well, this will be a little bit different. So you've listened to my podcast, right? And, but you guys haven't. And so it's a little bit different because you've got a father, daughter here, boyfriend. And so I normally do a rapid fire at the end of each uh, podcast. Now, some of the questions I'm going to just leave out because we don't want to offend anybody. Some of them aren't necessarily always appropriate. But I'm, I would like to at least have a few of the baseline ones. Uh, feel free to pass on any of these if you're uncomfortable. But uh, <laughs> I, I like to ask everyone, favorite bar in the world? In the world? One flight up. <laughs> Where's that located? <laughs> I'm only bringing that up. It's a bar that I grew up around in, down in Washington, D.C., and I don't even know if it exists anymore, to be honest. But that, that, back then, the drinking age was 18, and that was the bar that I kind of grew up going to. Perfect. <laughs> so that's, uh, that was it. And uh, the the one flight up, at that time, it was kind of a, a punk rock bar. and uh, But then... Uh, below it so that was up on the second floor of this building and then on the basement level um was another bar it was called the godfather and at eight at that time at 18 you could go in there too and that was a stripper bar (laughs) so so you had the one flight up and the godfather all all stacked on top of each other (laughs) how do you go wrong well well, how ironically i was going to leave out the question favorite strip club in the world but you kind of leaned right into it (laughs) (laughs) is that your favorite strip club well, probably because I was only 18 at the time, so pretty wide-eyed going into a strip club for the first time. So as far as memories, uh, yeah, it's got to be. Uh, there was one uh, 
The only other one I can think of that was kind of unique was, uh, I think it was, it was in the, I think it was actually on the Fairhaven side. It wasn't in New Bedford. And that was years ago too, but it's been many years since I went into a strip club. But, no, no judgment. No. <laughs> <laughs> we went last week. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was working down there for a stretch of time and we used to go into that place, uh, every, every once in a while. We're learning a lot about you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think we were going to go straight to that one. So, how about you? Favorite, favorite bar and favorite strip club? As long as we go, um, as long as we have an open family night here. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'd say Stripers in uh, Manio, North Carolina. Uh, stuck stuck down there, bringing a boat back and forth. So, made it up there a few times, and I don't know, it's fun, nice not, place. Not the one in Louisiana where the girls drink for free or eat for free. <laughs> No, that was... So wait, that was your favorite bar and it's a strip club? It's the same thing? No, no. Uh-oh. The strip club, I don't know, I guess Tens in Salisbury, because that's like probably the only one I've ever been to. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I gotta say, on the, on, the, on, the, on the state side level, my experience, Tens is pretty good. Just, if you're wondering, comparably, it's, it's yeah. a pretty good one. Well, I was just picking somebody <laughs> up and then... Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I never went in there either. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, as far as strip clubs go, Tens is probably better than The Godfather. But <laughs> it's the only one I've been to a few times. So. I think it's better. Doesn't have the same kittens. memories. Yeah. Favorite bar? Oof. I mean, I used to always go when I was younger to the Thirsty Moose. That was kind of like because they had live music in Portsmouth. I'd always go there with my friends, and I think it became my favorite place because uh, I started to know all the bartenders and the bouncers, so I always felt pretty safe there, too. So one one night, I blacked out really bad, and I that's never happened before, and I called this guy to come get me, <laughs> and um, I called my dad. It was so early, too, and it was, a weird, it was a Thursday night. It was a tap takeover, and we were drinking beer, but then we went down for karaoke, and it turned into a bunch of shots. So it was only like 10.30. <laughs> I called you. I was like, I'm about to black out. You're going to have to come get me. And the bouncers just sat with me outside because these guys were trying to get me and my friends to leave with them. And they were like, no, keep moving. So they kind of had my back at this bar. You had the foresight to know that you were going to black out? That's yeah. pretty incredible. And I, I blacked out. Well, she knew she was <laughs> wasted. 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 But she was at the point where... She hadn't <laughs> gone over the edge quite yet, but uh, that happened later when she got home. <laughs> yeah. I threw up all over my bed. I woke up, and I was on the other side of my bed. Well, now people are really <laughs> learning something uh, yeah. about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I was in Rhode Island, right? Oh, yeah. I so sat in here back for an hour, and we and just like, started dating. And so, you know, the guy got home safe text. Yeah. It didn't happen, and I couldn't unlock my phone because I was so drunk. So I was like, Dad, call Charlie and tell him I am with you and going home, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm okay. He's like, okay, what's your passcode? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> then he's like, well, then you're kind of screwed. Just We're going to go home. And then I'm like, then drive to Rhode Island, and we're going to go tell him that I'm okay. <laughs> but, but see, I had told both my kids from the time they were you know whatever junior high school and stuff if you are ever out anywhere with somebody that's drinking or you're drinking 
and you know you shouldn't get in the car with them driving you call me i'll come get you no repercussions uh, I'll, get just, you, I'm safe. I'll just be there uh, i'll come get you so and, and i had drilled that into her so she remembered you know that i can call dad and it'll be okay uh, and he'll come get me and you know because i always want to i'd rather come out in the middle of friggin night than have you get in the car with a drunk or you be drunk and try and drive so uh, was... And normally at the moose, it's so strict that if you're like stumbling, you get kicked out. So like when you're that drunk, you're done. But I went over the bouncer. I was like, I'm about to black out, and I need to call my dad to come get me. And they were like, Okay. And they like helped me up the stairs. And I called him because there's no service. It's like the basement is where the bar and the dancing is. So I like went back up, called my dad, and they just had me sit on the stairs, and they got my. <laughs> It's good to have friends. <laughs> it's so funny just hearing this, like you, what you just said. I, I was just thinking, I'm going to make sure I train my kids to make sure that they know that I will pick them up unquestionably. Like yeah. that's yeah. a good that, parent lesson there. That's that's why I brought it up. You know, people are listening to this that have kids. You know, it's way better for them to feel that trust that you're not going to get pissed off at them if that happens. That you just want them to be safe, and I'll never bring it up again. Other than now we bring it up because we can laugh about it, you know. Right. Well, it's it hilarious because I was a, so hungover yeah. in the morning, obviously, and I couldn't. I tried to start cleaning my mess of a robe. <laughs> I almost started throwing up again because I was still probably really drunk and the smell. So my dad's just like, okay, okay, just go downstairs and you actually clean my whole room for me, <laughs> which was a nightmare because it got in the heater. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That must have smelled lovely. Yeah, so, that was great. Uh, we are lear- we are learning a lot about you today here. That was a one time thing. I don't know. You're you're right. either gonna gain a bunch of followers or lose a bunch of followers. I'm not sure which. Yeah, I don't think she's losing any. If you, if you saw my followers, she's not losing any. <laughs> But I remember when we were leaving the bar, I was really proud because you, however many beers you drank, you got the free glasses because it was a top takeover. So I was like, Dad, I have six glasses on that table and I'm not leaving without them. <laughs> and you did, you grabbed my glasses for me. So every time you look at them, it reminds you of throwing up in the heater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Oh, that is bad. Yeah. What? Do you have a favorite strip club to follow up? I've. Um, Dad's here. You don't have to answer that if you don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I haven't ever been to a strip club. Not me either. <laughs> yeah, okay. Me either. It's just Dad. Well, next time you come out this way, I'll take you to one. <laughs> okay. well, yeah, if you want to show me what one looks like, that'd be great. You know? I've thought about it, and uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I've thought about it, but I, you know, I've never, never been able to get through the doors. But if you want to go with me, I'll check it out. You know, <laughs> buddy system. You got it. I'll, I'll come too for more. For it. I appreciate that. We'll go in there as a team just to check it out. You know? <laughs> Next question: Redheads, all crazy or just ninety percent of them? All crazy. <laughs> I guess I can't say I've never I've ever met one that wasn't. Okay. <laughs> Crazy. That sounds like a hundred percent. Redheads. I guess I'll go hundred percent. Oh. Oh, one hundred percent. Why do you say that with such uh, 
Zest. I dated a psycho that was a redhead. <laughs> and he'll know who it is on this podcast because I know he listens to your podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Am I losing, am I losing a listener? <laughs> Was not a good guy. Not a good guy. Well, good guy. if you're a listener out there, I love you. But no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, don't stop following me. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite quote about fishing. Favorite saying about fishing. I guess one I'd have to go back to is uh, fishing with my dad when I was a kid. We used to fish uh, down in North Carolina on the Outer Banks. And my dad and I would sometimes stay out all night, not catching things sometimes. (laughs) And he was always just, you know what, Eric? It's fisherman's luck. A wet ass and a hungry gut. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. I like that one. What about you, my friend, Mr. Clues? What is your favorite quote about fishing? I don't know. I guess I'd have to go with, it's better be lucky than good. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good one. I don't know. Salty? I don't know. I mean, I've actually had a lot of new favorites because of the way you can articulate what I'm feeling about the ocean, but you say it so beautifully. <laughs> I stole book. half of them, don't worry. <laughs> um, but then I also, I mean, it's not even really a favorite saying, but the uh, perfect storm, just that end, like, monologue by Clooney there is, like, one of my favorite things to listen to. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie, I have no idea what you're talking about. You've never seen the perfect storm? No, I have, but I, when you, what is the end monologue by Clooney? How, how does that go? <sighs> You know it. You made one up for Hampton. You gonna say it? I don't remember. Is it Clooney? I thought it's not the saying with Linda Greenlaw in it, right? Where she's like, "That's not not what you're talking about, is it?" No. He like just just tells verbatim, word for word, exactly on quote what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can look it up and play it. I don't know. I don't even know it word by word, but I just I like hearing that at the end of it. When like, they're heading out, yeah, like heading with the out, blackbacks and the yeah, the golds and all the stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, with the part where he goes, you wave like he goes past Ten Pound Island and yeah. wave to the light keepers so kid. We have and... one where we'll be like going past the Isle of the Shoals, doing whatever. <laughs> like we say it on the way out sometimes <laughs> that you made up, that Charlie made up. <laughs> but you know it better than. Well, let's hear it. I just yeah. make it up every time I go. I don't know. Different every time. <laughs> There's no bass to it. There's just each no. time you wing it. Yeah, I'm just kind of wing it. Based <laughs> on the night's vents before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about this? And we're gonna we're gonna close on this one. Inspirational words. Oh wait, what am I talking about? I missed my I missed my favorite part. What's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen on the ocean? Probably watching a whale breach. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah. Any any memory in particular stand out? Well, that was, uh, was actually working down uh, towards Cape Cod Bay and uh, super foggy out and actually heard 
the whales before we saw them and uh, kind of had over. We were in a fairly small boat and uh, just had a 24 foot privateer and we kind of, is that a whale? We just heard the, like the spout, the, you heard the, and we headed kind of in the direction and you, it was, again, the visibility was really terrible. And then see this whale just come up out of the water, like just clears the water. Oof. Splashes down again, and uh, how far was it from you? It was maybe hundred feet, because that's oh. about as far as you could see. Uh, so it was like awesome. right there, and we were just like, oh my god! Uh, I Did we just see me. that. Yeah, that was that's probably the most uh, amazing thing I've ever ever seen. Uh, just an animal that that huge being able to launch out of the water like that but then seeing it in that setting of you know fog and just yeah that was That's that was awesome. probably the most awesome thing i've seen on the water that is awesome yeah that is beautiful i love those things and you my friend the most beautiful thing you've ever seen out at sea uh, i guess out off rhode island we were out and we were bluefin fishing and humpback came right up right off the side of the boat and just came up real peacefully and then went down and just slapped its tail right next to the boat and was i there for that yeah yeah i don't know i guess that how close was that literally like almost like, touching the yeah, like boat full-size humpback 50 yeah. feet or something like oh that. Awesome. Like almost like touching it was almost side by side with the boat and it just came they were right doing up it all then, day like coming right up to the boat like that yeah. too it was like that's definitely my favorite day on the water was that time in Rhode Island when we were bluefin fishing. So you guys actually shared the same be most beautiful moment the same oh, day? Geez. Oh, man. How how <laughs> no, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> w was there a lot of herring and stuff around? Like, why were they staying around you guys all day? A lot of sand eels. Oh, sand eels. Yeah. But they were, like, all day, just you looked in every single direction. They were breaching fully out of the water, came right up to the boat. And I'm like a psycho when I yeah. see whales. I start screaming and running around the deck like with a chicken with his head cut off. Like if you looked off the side of the boat, you'd see five or six blowing up in the air. Maybe one breaching, a couple bubble feeding. And... I have a video on my phone where that one that came up like literally touching, like just missed like the corner of the, the stern. Like just came up like that, slapped the tail, and it hung out on the end for a while. And I was trying to get it because it was so close. And I forgot that the we leader was being We were stretching stretched. the leader, and she, like, ran into the leader. So I ran, like, full speed, and it hit my chest, and I was just like, ah, and, like, threw the thing over, and you can see it in the video, and I'm, like, running to the tail. And, no, and nobody I hit the leader. Buddy, and she just runs right into the leader. Yeah, I hear his buddy go, did full she speed. step on yeah. the leader? And he was like, no, it just hit her stomach, and she threw it over her shoulder. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. It's a whale. It's a whale. <laughs> There's like 10 of them around us. I start, I'm like, do you see it? Do you see it? It's right there. Everybody sees it. But I freak out. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Well, I know how that is. They're incredible creatures. All right. The question I was going to ask you before, the last question. I... Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> and this can, this can apply in marine biology, but uh, inspiring words for people, uh, looking at maybe the future of marine biology or the future of being a fisherman, uh, inspiring words about working, about, about the sea. What's the most inspirational thing you could pass forward about what you do and encourage people in the future? 
about your industry? Well, as far as uh, marine biology, uh, you know, for me, it was all about being being able to be on the ocean. But now there's it's really important for people to be willing to work in the field of protecting our environment. And so for, you know, young people that are heading in that direction, I think it's, it's a very rewarding job. Uh, and being able to be on the water all the time is obviously a bonus uh, <laughs> for me anyway, but being able to feel like you're, you're maybe making some small contribution to protecting the, the ocean, um, that's, it's so worth it. Uh, and if you do something, you know, that you really love doing, uh, you can keep doing it for, you know, a long time and, and, and it never feels like you're really doing a job all the time. It's, uh, you know, being able to do something you enjoy doing. And if it makes a difference in the world at the same time, go for it, do it. Awesome. <laughs> you got to follow that up. Good luck with that, my yeah, friend. Good luck. Good luck following pass. that up. Same question. Pass. <laughs> oh, there's no passing, uh, my friend. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I I always loved fishing and being on the water, but I guess I always was kind of looking, thinking I needed to get a real job and stuff, and since we've been doing this. and What's a real job okay, anyway? I exactly, was just but say that. It's kind of sick of that, and I don't know. I feel like even since we've been doing this, just, you know doesn't feel like a job just like being out there whether it's december and frost on the boat or sometimes it's still definitely you know now a job. i mean and sometimes <laughs> but i still rather be doing that than something else i'm still yeah. happy doing it so i guess just find something you do love and i don't know we don't have it all figured out yet but just gonna kind of keep moving forward and see where we end up but at least i feel like we're happy doing it so Some inspiring words, recommendations for future fishermen, people thinking they might want to fish for a living, aren't sure? I guess if you're not sure and you're, you think that's what you want to do, give it a shot. Worst case, you can start over or change it up. And, uh, Great. Awesome. Uh, and you, Salty? <laughs> Particularly, I want to ask this question because I know that you are in a profession where... Um, on the East Coast, we don't see a lot of women. Um, Hawaii, we see a handful of women. And uh, the West Coast has probably more women than anywhere that fish. But uh, a lot of places, we don't have women fishermen. Fisher I was going to ask you that. Fishermen or fisherwoman, first of all? So, I don't... I, I, I kind of like both, I guess. I don't really prefer one or the other. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. When you write down occupation, do you write fishermen or fisherwoman? Fisherwoman, I guess. Good for you. Good for you. So, particularly, uh, what would you say, um, not just to all people, but, but to other aspiring women who might, you know, their heart might be in the ocean, but they're intimidated because of the typical male um, component of the industry. What would you say to them? So, uh, definitely the hardest thing, at least that I went through in the industry, was having to prove myself. And you're, no matter what, you're going to have to do it. It sucks like women have to prove themselves as, like, I guess being kind of equal or not looked down upon in the industry. But um, once you do prove that, 
I mean, everybody is going to have your back, and I saw that all the time. Because, I mean, being on the dock, you get catcalled, and, you know, you just... I'll give an example of a catcall. Um, just the whistling and the, hey, why don't you come on my boat for drinks later, or I'll have you be my deckhand. I've that, like, do you even work? Like, I bet you guys are just down in the cabin the whole time. I get that all the time from fishermen. Why don't you come out with me? I'll show you a good time. Yeah, why don't you come out with me? I'll show you a good time. Um, and I even got harassed when I worked with this one particular captain in, in Rye, um, who was horrible. And I, when we were on a charter, a guy grabbed my ass. So I Oof. whipped around in front of the captain, grabbed his hand, and I said, you do it again, I'm going to break it. And the kid just, like, turned white, went away from me. But then the captain yelled at me after. Because, so I dressed, like, you know, shorts, and I'd have a bathing suit top on with a tank top over it. Because on multiple occasions, too, my boss would make me jump in the water if the wheel got, something got stuck in the wheel, go check the wheel. <laughs> so I just started wearing a bathing suit, because the one time I didn't was when I had to go in in my shorts. <laughs> and I was wet all day. But anyways, so he told me that, um... It's my fault that he grabbed my ass because of how I dressed with the black shorts and that I was asking for it. Wow. I'm pretty sure that's not accepted at all in today's culture. Uh, no. Yeah. So that happened and I told my boss and then I never had to work with him again. We had, and he had to stay up and away from me. But then when I got him in trouble because I told my boss about it, he started badgering me and followed me around the harbor when it happened. And so I never, I had never cried in, at, there ever, not once, but because of, it was just like, almost like in shock and... It's a bit awkward, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's making a scene, so I started crying and I went out behind her shack and he followed me there and he put his arms out so I can go past him. So I was like, if you don't move, I'm going to punch you in the face. And so he didn't move and I just pushed by him and then one of the other fishermen who knew and respected me, they knew that I am like tough and not just some little Barbie like other people viewed me as um like basically threatened him that if you ever touched me said anything to me again that he would just break his face (laughs) so I mean my point of that whole story is that the fishermen had my back in the harbor after that and they like kept him away from me and like they were like that's not you at all but then they tried to make light of it because I never cried in the harbor. So for the whole year after, they would come up and do, like, the cry thing in their eyes. Like, as they would be driving by in a boat, they would just go, like, the hand thing, like, every time. But they were just giving me a hard time. <laughs> I wish people listening to a podcast could see that visualization. <laughs> but uh, they'll just have to... They'll just have to imagine yeah. the cry face thing that you're showing us. <laughs> but, but I guess my, my biggest advice to women going into it it's just once you can push past that and like just you know and it it might not be like that that was just my experience anyways is just trying to scratch that surface and get the respect that you deserve anyways but then once you have that like they're gonna have your back with a lot of stuff like other fishermen will like they won't let people treat you bad and they are gonna support you and like want to see you succeed too so yeah (laughs) So maybe uh, part of that is just, you know, you, you do have to show special toughness as a woman yeah. trying to get into that. And maybe that's not fair, but uh, mm-hmm. the reality is that if you can do that and kind of push beyond it and earn the respect of a few of your fellow fishermen, 
then they are going to have your back and it becomes easier, right? right. I mean, that's, uh, it sucks that you got to put in the extra effort, but if you want to get into it badly enough and, and it's a passion, then go for it. Do that, do that, put in that extra effort to prove, prove that you're worthy. Uh, right. Uh, and that's what you've and certainly I mean, tried to do. In a way, it's almost kind of like any job. You kind of have to climb that ladder, that ladder of respect, that ladder of like status where you just, you have, you have to prove yourself in any job really, but more so as a woman, obviously. It seems like once you do prove yourself though, that other fishermen realize that though, and it carries a lot of weight and they, you know, if everyone's respecting her, then, you know. Right. It, so I feel like it, I worked in it takes Portsmouth a lot longer, but. And in Rye mostly. So I actually really don't know too many fishermen here. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people don't really know who I am here. So I think it's almost like going through that again. I'll definitely probably have to <laughs> do that again here. So. Well, sounds like you're tough enough. <laughs> so it's not going to be a problem. You guys, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Anything you guys, anything we left out, anything you want to close with? Anything the world needs to know? Uh, buy Vicious Cycles book. Because <laughs> it's really good. And I haven't read all of it yet, but I love what I have read. Well, you guys have been done. Maybe you should read the whole thing before you recommend it. And, no, I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> and I've just been like, well, as soon as you're done with it. Uh, <laughs> but, but now we have two copies, so yeah. you can... Now I got uh, some downtime coming up in September. I'll pick yeah. it up then when I slow down. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, you're too kind. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, you guys. Greatly appreciate it. And um, tight lines. Tight lines. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.